Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm one of today's co-hosts, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, one of the other co-founders of Biotech 2050 and today's co-host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a platform that is solving the talent crisis across the life sciences industry by democratizing access to the world's best expertise. I'm excited to welcome Greg Divis, CEO of Avidel Pharmaceuticals. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Thank you, Raul. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Great. So to start off, we'd love to understand your background, the arc of your career, and how you got to where you are today. I guess the kind of the sum and substance is I'm in my 32nd year of our industry. It's really all I've ever known since I finished college back in the late 80s and really feel fortunate to have been able to spend over three decades in such an amazing industry that does such amazing work for patients that we all serve every single day. I would probably describe my career in a few major chapters or a few major kind of buckets of time that really have been formative to me in my career and my evolution to where we are today. Coming out of college, you know, I would say when I went to university, although we all go there to get a degree and prepare ourselves for the next stages of our life, I spent a lot of time playing major college athletics as well as going to school. And a lot of lessons learned in those experiences were really formative to me as I moved into my professional life post-college and post-sports to really help facilitate and really propel me in terms of the things I needed to do to try to make a difference in this industry that we're working in. I spent the first 12 or so years at really large global companies and really my formative years at Shearing Plow, where I spent the better part of 10 years in a number of different capacities, everything from customer facing commercial roles all the way up through, you know, being overseas running European countries and being part of R&D teams and leading clinical research groups accordingly. So I was very blessed to be at a company at a time that was experiencing high growth that gave folks like myself opportunities to learn the industry, to be surrounded by great mentors, and really have an opportunity to participate in a lot of growth and making a difference in the lives of patients. From my time at Shearing Plow, I spent a number of years at Aventus to become Sanofi Aventus in commercial and strategy roles, both on the allergy respiratory side, but also in the corporate development and business development side, as well as life cycle management of our portfolio. And again, another opportunity to be a part of an organization that was growing, going through significant change with an integration between two large companies and being able to be a part of a team that was really making a difference. And from there, although I never really thought about it at the time as I was in a large company, I was presented an opportunity to move from a big global pharmaceutical company to a smaller emerging specialty pharmaceutical company based in St. Louis, Missouri, and had a chance to join that company and play a leadership role in their commercial organization that ultimately presented me the opportunity to become a CEO. Over time, I became the chief executive officer of that company and taking over a situation that was quite challenging at the time that we were able to execute a number of strategic initiatives and move our company forward and advance it such that what emerged out of that situation was a new company called Lumara Health, a company focused on women's health care, a company focused on really predominantly in premature birth and helping to improve that debilitating condition for 
families and moms who are at risk for premature birth. And over time, as that company progressed, that company was ultimately acquired by another organization. And from there, I moved into what I would describe as my third chapter, which I then moved into the investor side of the world and became an operating partner at Linden Capital Partners for a middle market healthcare focused private equity firm and really focused on helping Linden make investments and identify opportunities to invest in companies that are really doing breakthrough healthcare related activities and have businesses that needed funding and support to help scale and grow. And was fortunate to be able to be involved with that for a couple of years, looking for opportunities to start new companies with the Linden team in the biotech pharmaceutical services side of our industry. And I would say the fourth chapter, which coming off of that really brings me to where I'm at today at Avidel Pharmaceuticals, a company that we have gone through quite a bit of change over the last couple of years and really pivoted our strategy from where the company was for really the first kind of 25 years of its life, where it was really focused on contract drug development, applying proprietary innovative drug delivery technologies for other companies but really looking to take that capability and apply it to unique needs in the marketplace to really help patients by using that technology within our own pipeline of products. And so I had an opportunity to join this company a few years ago, became the CEO in 2019, where we made a strategic decision to really focus our company as a small emerging biopharmaceutical company at the time, all of our efforts around our lead early stage phase three asset at the time, really designed to help improve the lives of patients suffering from narcolepsy. So I've been in this role now for nearly three years and I've just been blessed professionally to be able to be surrounded by great leaders, great mentors, working great companies that really have taught me not only the industry, but also the things that are necessary to build a company and to make a difference in the lives of both your patients you serve, your employees who you serve, and of course, your investors who you serve. It's wonderful. Well, you know, it certainly seems like you've had a phenomenal tour of duty, if you will, through the pharmaceutical industry across different parts of the drug development process. You sort of briefly alluded to Avidel sort of focusing on narcolepsy. Would love to learn just a little, maybe a little bit more about the disease and its current state for especially to help educate the broader audience. From an Avidel perspective, our focus really is transforming medicines to transform lives, right? We look to apply innovative or disruptive solutions or technologies with two medications to address really significant gaps or needs from a patient perspective with current treatment options. Our first foray into this really is in narcolepsy and specifically our lead asset, which is a once at bedtime oxabate formulation that we call FT218. But narcolepsy as a condition is a rare chronic sleep disorder that's really characterized by a number of challenging symptoms. These symptoms occur both in the day and in the night. They include excessive daytime sleepiness, which is more than just being tired. These are people living with a condition who they would describe it as, it's like you've been awake for two or three consecutive days where you can just fall asleep at a moment's notice without being aware of anything around you. For instance, we've heard stories of people sitting at a stoplight and falling asleep, things that can create risk and safety concerns. So clearly a very debilitating condition. They could also suffer from a condition called cataplexy, which is really a loss of muscle tone or muscle control, really normally brought on by some emotional reaction. So laughter or sadness can trigger an event where a patient could actually lose all control and just fall. So we've heard stories of parents and fathers who don't go to their daughter's wedding because of this risk of cataplexy happening in an event that's quite emotional to them. 
Patients suffer from disturbed nocturnal sleep where they move in and out of different stages of sleep with a disruptive sleep-wake cycle. They have hallucinations. There's a number of challenges in this condition for patients. And what perhaps is equally as important than this is that the diagnosis of this condition is very challenging. It can be anywhere from eight to 15 years where patients go through a number of misdiagnoses, whether that's ADHD or they're depressed or they have some other psychosocial challenge or issue, but it isn't until they really get to the right sleep expert who can really diagnose the sleep disorder where patients finally begin to see some light at the end of the tunnel when they can begin to go on treatments to help them address their conditions for this debilitating condition. Great, Greg. So with that primer on the patient population and their challenges, tell us about Avidel's approach to helping them. The two kind of cardinal conditions that are predominantly attempted to treat patients both in the nighttime and in the daytime really are excessive daytime sleepiness and cataplexy as kind of the most prominent conditions that are being treated today. And for the most part, most patients start and spend most of their treatment experience on what we'll just characterize as a stimulant or a weight-promoting agent designed to keep them up during the day, but also has the consequence of potentially creating insomnia at night, you know, and not addressing the hallmark symptoms of the nighttime component of this disease. What Avidel is working on is an improved treatment formulation of the active ingredient sodium oxalate. Currently today, there are sodium oxalate formulations on the marketplace that are, from a data perspective, you know, are quite compelling and statistically significant and really help patients. However, it is a treatment that, in essence, induces deep, slow-wave sleep and thus has to be taken at nighttime. So patients, if you think about it, have this treatment option that is a sodium oxalate formulation where they actually have to dose two different dosages at bedtime. They set an alarm for two and a half to four hours later. They take one dose at bedtime and they go to sleep and they wake themselves up in the middle of the night to take a second dose. And this has been a nearly two decade challenge for patients, which really has resulted in, in many ways, for what arguably is a very, very effective treatment for patients suffering from this condition, it has resulted in only a relatively small percentage of patients actually going on this therapy. And in large part, because of the challenges it's presented from a dosing schedule, which it really ties to just how difficult it is to control the release of this formulation from a technology standpoint. And so what Avidel has done and what our scientists and our drug formulators have been able to do is applying our proprietary technologies have been able to, in essence, control the release of this active pharmaceutical ingredient, sodium oxalate, such that patients don't have to wake up in the middle of the night. They can take a single administration at bedtime and can be, in essence, exposed to the right amount of active ingredient during the treatment period, but not have to wake themselves or their partner or their caregiver up in the middle of the night, which comes with its own set of consequences and challenges therein, and can have the benefit of this treatment with just one treatment at bedtime. And Greg, where are you now from a pipeline development perspective, and what are you looking forward to over the next 12 months or so? We've made a tremendous amount of progress on our FT218, this first and only once at bedtime oxibate treatment that really eliminates this burden of the middle of the night dosing for this patient population that's already struggling with this fragmented nighttime sleep. And what our data, we've completed a large 
pivotal phase three trial that was done under a spa agreement with the FDA that clearly shows, and our research clearly shows, and one of the largest narcolepsy trials ever done, that when you take FD2 and 8, you can achieve meaningful results in improving their excessive daytime sleepiness. You can significantly reduce their cataplexy attacks. You can more potentially normalize the natural sleep-wake cycle for these patients by giving them the possibility of an uninterrupted night's sleep, which for many patients they haven't had for 15 plus years. So our data is quite compelling from that standpoint, and it shows how patients can help manage their symptoms and get more control over their lives. So where we are today is we're under review with the FDA and we're pending a decision from them relative to the approvability of our once at bedtime FT2 and 8. And from there, assuming success as we do, our pipeline will continue to evolve in the application of our technology and really the expansion of the potential patient population that FT2 and 8 can treat whether that's in form of more patients based upon indication, more patients based upon age, and an opportunity really to try to treat a larger cohort of patients who could benefit from this important FT2 and 8 who are suffering from these rare sleep disorders. And Greg, you've worked across you know, big pharma and Avidel is now based in Missouri. What are some of perhaps the interesting upsides of building a publicly traded biotech in not one of the biotech hubs as we think of them? And also, what are the challenges that that presents? Yeah, thank you, Raul. It's a, it's a really important question. I'll Maybe I'll make my kind of editorial comment about the St. Louis metropolitan area, which for me, for some reason, there's no reason for it not to be a more robust biotech hub. There's a tremendous amount of breakthrough science and innovation coming out of our universities here. There's a large, robust incubator program really funding early stage ideation and research Unfortunately, a lot of that technology and breakthrough moves out and goes elsewhere, usually to one of the coasts from that standpoint. So I do think there is an opportunity to really play a part in building a potential prominence in the Midwest in the St. Louis marketplace. But as not an evolved, emerging or developed pharmaceutical and biotech hub, the biggest challenge comes down to talent and comes down to people. And the best ideas are germinated because of the intellectual curiosity of scientists and researchers and can be fully developed and maximized through mature organizations that can evolve products through their different life cycle. So a challenge for us is just that, especially in a world that we live in today, post-COVID, is how do we attract the right people? How can we attract the right people? And how can we set up an organization that just a few months ago was 20 people, that's now 60 people, that will grow to 160 people over time? And how do we ensure we create the right organization and culture that allows us to attract those people to either want to be in this marketplace or we have the right sort of operating approach from an organizational standpoint that allows us to capitalize on those talent where they exist and where they live currently? Yeah, Greg, you know, we're very much in the middle of a talent crisis now, and that crisis is anticipated to get worse over the next five to 10 years or so. Curious what you have learned during the pandemic as it relates to getting the best folks interested in working with you, and then perhaps on a forward-looking basis, you know, where's there room for improvement across the industry? I think I can answer that very simply, and maybe I'll put some color around it. You know, the who and the how is much more important than the where. Right. I think that's the best way for me to describe it. We made a conscious decision that where potential employees live is less important than who they are and how we work together. Right. So if we get the who and the right sort of skill set, 
with how we operate and want to you know, build our company and we can mirror those two things together. Yes, we have to be more intentional about things, about culture and organizational health because we're not all sitting in an office together where we can talk more you know, regularly or kind of at the water cooler, so to speak. So we are very intentional about those things, but we've made a decision that who and how trumps where and we will make it work. And you know, I'm proud of the way our team has embraced that challenge and very pleased and proud of the caliber of people who want to join us on this journey of trying to build an emerging company that really is focused on trying to improve the lives of the patients we serve in the narcolepsy community and have a chance to sit at the table as we go from 20 to 60 to something much larger in the future. But it is a challenge, and I think it requires a commitment on all parts to be intentional about things that really sometimes perhaps you take for granted when everybody's in an office together. And you bring up a really interesting point, right, which is through COVID, we've seen how life science companies can go from being all in the same office in the same, you know, thousand square foot space to being globally distributed, much along the lines of the trials, right, that are also conducted. But there's naturally a shift that happens in the culture of the organization. And I know from our prior discussion, that's something you're, you're very passionate about. Well, let's just hear your overall philosophy about sort of culture and company building in a, in a biotech, but then also maybe how you've seen that shift through COVID as we come out of it. Yeah. Again, philosophically, as an emerging kind of smaller biopharmaceutical company looking to continue to grow, we just firmly believe that when you marry up exceptional talent and capability with the right culture and organizational health, that one plus one, so to speak, far allows you to punch above your weight class and size. And I think we're seeing that today in our industry where smaller companies can have profound impact in very specific markets and do great by patients and do great by their employees and do great by their investors. And I do think it takes the combination of all of those things, which is talent and culture and organizational health. So for us, we've been very deliberate from day one as we've transformed this company to put culture and organizational health at the center of everything we do. We're not going to hire somebody who we don't think is technically or functionally exceptional at their job. But if that person cannot, quote unquote, play in the sandbox in the way that we need the sandbox to be played in, that's likely in a small company, far more punitive in terms of the progress you can make. So we're very very intentional in this regard. So the way we went about it is aligning the entire organization through a process of both transparency and in trust, right? So we want to be very clear with everybody, like what are the things we look at to determine the decisions we're going to make? What is our guidepost strategically when we're deciding what to invest in or what not to invest in? And how does that shape the company, right? We're very passionate about our values and the behaviors that we think are really important not things you necessarily hang on your wall that never get acted on and they're just words, but things that are really, really critical. And I'll give you an example. You know, we use a value or behavior of courageous, right? Now, courage in and of itself is an important attribute. It speaks to taking calculated risks. It speaks to having a culture where people feel comfortable speaking their mind and bringing solutions to the table when they don't disagree. But I'll give you an example of courage that I think is really important to note as a small company. Over almost three years ago, we made a decision with this lead program, which by and large, if you talk to external parties, would have described the program as struggling and it was behind. And we made a decision as we came in as a new team to basically a little less than halfway through a phase three program, remove the entire team that had been working on it 
great people, very talented and very good at what they grew up doing in our industry, but not a tremendous amount of experience running a complicated phase three clinical trial under a spa agreement with the FDA. And we replaced that with a new team, a smaller team who in a matter of 12 months, turned the program around, completed the program more than a year earlier than we thought, and positioned the company to be able to be where we are today, post an NDA submission, post a capital raise to really strengthen the balance sheet, and heading toward what we believe will be an approval to come forward and make a difference in the lives of these patients. So again, I think you know how we go about and how intentional we are in terms of our culture and our values, and we bring that to life every single day with our team and we reward and recognize it. But it is important. And it's something that as you get bigger, you can't allow to, you know, slip because it can become easier. It can become easy for it to become less important as layers get more and more in your organization. We try to be very clear up front on everyone's first day. We talk them through this. And, and candidly, we need every employee to be an advocate for this in our organization. And that's why it's paramount to how we evaluate our folks. It's paramount to what we communicate about. And it's paramount to how we think we can be successful in punching above our weight class in a market and a therapeutic area that is really needing our innovation. And Greg, given the breadth and depth of your career and all that you've learned along the way, what's one piece of advice you would provide your younger self? <laughs> There's probably a lot. And I could go all the way back to my days in high school when I was considering which college to go to. And I chose the college I went to more for football than for kind of life after football. And I talk to my sons about that all the time now, you know, choose wisely in that regard. As it relates to professionally, I would probably offer two things. Number one is never stop trying to learn. You know, be intellectually curious, even when it's uncomfortable, right? And that's really important because that's where real innovation in my mind is sparked. So be intellectually curious. The other side of that, I think, is the other advice I would give is that as your curiosity and your intellectual curiosity grows and ideas emanate from that, think about how you bring solutions to that. Nobody wants to hear just a problem or the opportunity, bring the solution as well. And I think if you do that and you surround yourself with people who are like-minded culturally and philosophically, you can have a tremendous experience in this industry. You can impact the lives of thousands, if not hundreds, if not millions of lives based upon the innovation that you're so relentless in pursuing. And is there anything really better than that, right? When you step back and say that you've helped a family live a better life. And ultimately, everybody has their why for why they do what they do. But our industry makes a tremendous impact on the patients we serve and can do it at breakneck speed like we've seen it over the last 18 months. And I think that the future for the biotech industry is only going to continue to get brighter as more and more intellectual curiosity continues to abound and more problems get solved, like some of the problems that have been solved recently and the challenges in our healthcare system. So from that standpoint, I feel very fortunate to be able to say I'm three decades in. And for those of you just starting it, it's an amazing ride and enjoy it and always keep trying to find the right solution for the next problem. Great. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining us today, for educating us and our audience on narcolepsy. And we'll be rooting for you as you wait to hear from FDA. Look forward to having you back post-approval, fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you very much for the opportunity and uh, for the chance to tell our story and wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. 
This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.